Hello everyone, welcome to episode 8 of the Sports Grid Podcast. I do have to apologise that I have taken around a three-month hiatus from the podcast. I never intended my hiatus to be this long, but there are a number of reasons I need to explain. Initially, I was struggling to secure guests on the podcast. This probably, I would say, hints to me that I might have to make a change of structure to the podcast, which I'm currently thinking up. And secondly... I've been preoccupied with a lot of events in my personal life and I did not have a lot of time to, we would say, work on and develop the podcast. But now it is my utmost honour to welcome Peter Lockhart from Ulster Rugby Lad onto the podcast. Over the last number of years, Peter has started his Ulster Rugby fan blog where he wants to, we would say, immerse rugby fans in this team of personal rugby journalism because there's a lot of we would say sensationalized and over exaggerated rugby journalism doing the rounds at the moment and there isn't enough we would say personalized and authentic content and that is what Peter has been obviously essentially trying to do over the last number of years and he's doing a wonderful job at it. Obviously Peter started his journalism career obviously in working for Ulster Rugby when he was writing articles for them for post-match gigs for a number of years but now he's obviously started his own blog and tries to make as much time for it as possible. The podcast was an intriguing conversation. We talked about the current state of Ulster Rugby, how maybe they have underperformed to a degree and may may have not fulfilled their potential this season, the young crop of players coming through and also the future of Irish rugby. Another interesting topic that I enjoyed talking about was the class divide in rugby and also how we can learn to rectify it and make rugby less of a niche sport, along with also noting how positive rugby is as well as bringing people together and really, we would say, bringing communities that aren't essentially meant to bond together, but they actually do bond together as a result of sport. We also... um discussed a few general personal things such as his in- inspiration to start to start his podcast and his blog and also we spoke about a number of his interviews he'd done and his future aspirations for the blog also what lessons he learned and what experience he has playing rugby in general and it was an incredibly interesting chat and I hope you all thoroughly enjoy it if you are a rugby fan or not thank you let's roll on to Peter now hello everyone and welcome to our third guest occupied episode for this podcast and it's it is accompanied by peter lockhart who runs the ulster rugby lad podcast and blog so welcome on peter thanks luke for having me pleasure to be here yeah and i feel without further ado i just want to explain what we're going to be discussing in the podcast we're going to be discussing about ulster rugby irish rugby and general rugby questions in in general because Obviously, the guest we have on here today is a rugby expert, and we're obviously going to try as a podcast to really, we would say, gain as much experience as we can from it. So I think we just crack into the Ulster questions first. Why not? Absolutely. So opinion on Ulster season so far, like who would you say are the strongest performers? What like what hopes would you say you have of winning the URC later in the year? And who would you say is maybe flown under the radar? That's what I love hearing from like like let's say journalists or fans otherwise it's really yeah. interesting to hear who's understated 
Yeah, well, that's that's sort of uh, an area I love as well because there are certain obvious candidates. You know, whenever you talk about player of the season or who's really stood out, it tends to be backs get all the glory, as we know. Yeah. And he only plays rugby knows, knows that happens. So, I mean, you look through that Ulster team, there's several standout performers you've got. Uh, James Hume, uh, Robert Balakoon, Mike Lowry, Stuart McCluskey. And even in the, the forwards, there's Dwayne Vermeulen, who's sort of our our uh, superstar um, signing, you know, uh, uh, South African. So um, those are the obvious ones, Nick Timoney as well, uh, Nathan Duke could be thrown in there in terms of in terms of our best players. Now, in terms of sort of guys who, who don't get enough credit, as far as I'm concerned, um, I'm not just going to name the whole team. Uh, I'd name quite a lot there as our standout performers, but you look through the team and in terms of guys who... Um, who have been churning out great performances all year and maybe not getting enough credit. Rob Herring, I think, has been excellent. Um, he's been um, sort of second or third choice for Ireland now, um, having been there and occupied that space since Rory Best's retirement. He's uh, dropped down the packing order a wee bit for Ireland, but for Ulster, he's been playing some of the rugby of his career. Um, I think he's been really good. Um and looks uh, a lot like he is not going to give up the, the number two jersey without a fight. Ronan Kelleher's coming in, uh, and he's younger and, and maybe more dynamic as a ball carrier, but Rob Herring is a quality, quality player. We're lucky to have Middlestar. Um, the, the, other, the other ones, I suppose, um, uh, Marty Moore, um, who, again, he's not particularly understated because I think people have seen how well he's played, and there's calls now for him to get back into the Ireland team. Um, uh, or certainly, certainly the squad, you know. So, um, Marty Murr is a big lad, you know. If you watch him, uh, if you didn't know uh, what he could do, you might not think he's he's as mobile as he is, but he carries the ball, he makes tackles, he's really added that to his game. Um, the other one as well that I'd, I'd throw in there is Marcus Ray, and um, who's um, a guy who sort of broke onto the scene, he got a man of the match in one of his earliest games for Ulster. Um, and then he's played, uh, he's been sort of on the fringes of the Ulster squad for a couple of seasons. And it's really been this season. He's come in and um, he, he's really laid down a marker. In terms of his work at the breakdown, he's a complete nuisance. He gets in, he wins penalties for Ulster, he wins turnovers. Um, and he's been really good. So that's, that's sort of, in terms of players, that's who I would point out Um uh, as sort of underrated or people who, who often get looked over. And in terms of, you're asking sort of, uh, what did I think of the season so far? Well, it's the same familiar pattern um, for people who watch Ulster um, and have watched them over the last number of years. There's a pattern of playing well for the first couple of thirds, first two thirds of the season, then the wheels tend to come off towards uh, the final third whenever it's really the business end of the season. So. Um, we beat, just looking back at the last season, I know you're a Leinster fan, so I'll not rub it in, but we beat Leinster at home and away, albeit the slightly weakened Leinster team, a um, lot of guys away uh, for those games. We beat Claremont away, we beat Northampton home and away. Um, we also beat Toulouse away recently as well. So you look at that, those performances and those results and you think this is a team that can that can beat the top teams in Europe. Um but we're just inconsistent. I don't know whether it's a psychological barrier or a mental block. Um, but I mean, just games we don't need to lose against 
we got beaten by Munster uh, last er, last week and earlier in the season. Ospreys beat us, Connacht beat us, um, and uh, we're we're coming off a, a bit of a losing streak here with uh, the Bulls and the Stormers beat us recently as well. Yeah. So, I mean, all in all, it's not been a good uh, sort of final third of the season. Uh, in terms of um, what we can do here in the, the United Rugby Championship, um, we, uh, I mean, hopefully we, we end the season on a high. We'll see what happens. But it's, to be honest, at this stage, you'd be hoping to get quarterfinals of the Highland Cup. Um, and we didn't get that. So I think the season will, will most likely go down as uh, a bit of a failure, unfortunately. Not to be too negative, but... The reason I'm disappointed is because it's such a good squad. Do you know it's a really good Ulster squad? And if it wasn't such a good squad, then I'd, I'd sort of say fair enough. But I think this is a real this is a real chance that we had. You know, a mix of youth and experience, and and uh, and in this team, you know, with the likes of McCloskey from Newland, Tim and guys who've been there for years, combined with some of the younger guys I talked about as well. So, oh God, just disappointed. They're not fully over those those losses yet. <laughs> Yeah, um, I, I sort of agree with that sort of old mechanism of Ulster really starting seasons well, but then sort of, I would say, we would say falling off the cliff towards the end, I feel one of, I'd say one of the greatest examples would be, I'd say it would, must have been nine or ten years ago now, the 12-13 season for Ulster, wherever they made the Pro 14 final against Leinster, it was in the RDS, it was the year where the likes of Paddy Jackson and a few of the younger guys of that generation burst onto the scene. And then there was a few of the older guys like Trimble, Bo, and there's also Nick Williams. He was a non-Irish qualified signing as well. And I remember um, he's beat Leinster at the start of the season in Ravenhill. I think that was the game where Stephen Ferris got his serious injury that kind of, like, I would say, yeah, yeah. sort of demolished his career effectively. And he never was really yeah. the same after that. But it was just really that it was a really good start for them. I know I'm going back years here now, but it just fell off and they're beaten by Leinster in the final. So it's a very Ulster thing. It might be that they haven't won a trophy in a long time. I think it was 2006, the Celtic League, wasn't it? Yeah, so it's, that's right, yeah. I, I think maybe it's just, it's a bit like even in football, let's say, like with Liverpool, it was so long to get over that stumbling block of winning a league title, but that whenever you do it once, it the, the glory keeps coming, you know? Let's hope that's the case anyway. As you say, I I first started supporting Ulster in, well, when I was about five years old, you know, I, I started supporting Ulster. Dad would take me to games. And the first real sort of campaign I remember is whenever we won the European Cup in 1999. So we've actually, you know, that was that was the, the, the best moment, I suppose, in Ulster rugby history. And I was just at the age where that was, that's really the, the big memory that I had. And I sort of thought, as you say, well, this will happen every year. Ulster will just, I mean, this is it's like supporting Man United, who won the treble that year. I thought, I, I'm in luck. All my sports teams win everything. <laughs> and, uh, little did I know we wouldn't win anything for another seven years. And then uh, it's been uh, 16 years now since, <laughs> since we've won the, the Celtic League. So, uh, as you say, like, I think uh, we might talk about that later, but in terms of Ulster's squad, you're talking there about uh, historic Ulster squads and what made them different, maybe. So, you talked about some of the big names that we had back in the day, that 2012 team that got to the final. You had guys, basically, you had this perfect combination of 
um, world class players who'd have been who'd been brought in from from mainly South Africa, New Zealand, John Afoa, um, Johan Muller, Pedri Vandenberg, who sadly passed away um, last week, um, Ruan Pinar, Stefan Terblanche, um, and then you mix it up as you say, guys, Trimble, Ferris, Cave. Uh, Chris Henry, Rory Best. Uh, it was just, it's an unbelievable team. And to be honest, in terms of achieving success going forward, you probably do need that combination of world-class players who you've imported and then quality local talent. At the minute, we have, I think we have probably two world-class players in the team. I think we have uh, Dwayne Vermeulen, who's still world-class, and Ian Henderson, who, who's, who's right up there as well, as you know, British Lion. Um, so, you probably need five of those guys to be world class if you're going to yeah. win anything. I don't know. That's an arbitrary number, but I'd say you need a real core of of world class players. And like very few, in fact, there's really no bad player in Ulster's team. You just need blue players at a certain level who are, who are born winners. And um, unfortunately, we're we're not there just yet. Yeah, going back to that point. Yeah, like I feel maybe. I'd say two two or three of that current young crop, which is really exciting. I'd say maybe Balakune or Hume could become world-class players and maybe another NIQ signing from South Africa or New Zealand. I'd say that would really put the cherry on top of the cake for Ulster. And also just uh, noting about Pedri Vandenberg, uh, obviously deepest condolences to, to the Ulster family after that really sad news, obviously on Saturday. So, Yeah, yeah. I know that was a, a surreal... I was actually in... In Texas, uh, when it happened, I woke up and I saw news. It was on local news uh, that Pedri Vallenberg uh, had passed away after a car accident. So he he was he was among several uh, South African players who came to Ulster, and he's fondly remembered, you know, and and was part of a great crop of uh, crop of Ulster players and a great squad, and, and by all accounts, a great person as well. So thanks thanks for. For, for saying that and for mentioning him because it's it's uh okay it's, it's very sad indeed thanks yeah incredibly sad and sobering just we're going to move on to the next question on yeah. a lighter note uh so obviously if we're we've sort of talked about the young crop of talents let's say if you were to pick maybe three of them to become world class which three would you pick so it's it's really tough. Now you've mentioned a few there, and I could go for the very obvious ones. So so you've got uh, Mike Lowry, uh, James Hume, Robert Ballack, and so those are those are the ones sort of already proven themselves. They all play for Ireland. They've got some minutes for Ireland. They will all play a lot more for Ireland going forward. No doubt about that. In terms of guys who have yet to to make that leap, um, and uh, people I suppose who are in the rugby or. Um, but maybe don't know that much about Ulster's younger guys. This might be useful information. David McCann's one who's coming through. He's played quite a lot of minutes uh, for 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 Ulster, but hasn't hasn't represented Ireland. He's the Ireland under twenty captain, um, and a great leader. A very very solid back row, good ball carrier, tackler. He'll hopefully break into the Ulster squad more and more, get more and more minutes. And uh, we'll see a lot more of him. Nathan Duke is the other one. So Nathan Duke is, um, if you speak to people in the Ulster squad, Nathan Duke's the one that for the past couple of years, they've been saying he's the next big thing. Um, so he's coming to the squad. He acts like he's already played 100 times for Ulster. The way he, uh, the confidence he carries himself with um, and it's backed up by ability. Like he is just, um, 
he's 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 quite tall. Um, he's quick. He can he can run with the ball. Uh, he's an excellent sort of crisp pass, um, and he'll he'll go really far. The, the other couple, I suppose, uh, Ethan McElroy um, will will play for Ireland as well. I'm sure of it. Um, he is unlucky so far. I think Balakun's maybe slightly um, outshone him, or maybe got more recognition than McElroy. But McElroy has been uh, has been really sturdy for for Ulster, and um, I think deserves more credit than he he probably gets. He is really worked on his defensive side of his game. Excellent defender, and we've seen him score some unbelievable tries this year as well. So those are those are the sort of Three there, McCann, Duke, McElroy, uh, and then the obvious ones of Larry Hume and Balakun, um, that that will will undoubtedly play a bit more for Ireland as well. Yeah, very exciting future for Ulster ahead, isn't it? Yeah. Um, and then I feel I want to address the ten position and the old yeah. polemic of Billy Burns. Um. Billy Burns hasn't exactly impressed in a green jersey. Obviously, his two greatest opportunities, which was the, the Wales game in the 2021 Six Nations, absolute powder of a mistake, obviously, there in the closing minutes. And then the the game against France, obviously, a week later when Johnny Sexton was out with injury, that was unconvincing, to say the least. So, and Billy Burns was sort of heading closer to the exit door after that. I know he's put in some... I would say strong and reputable performances for Ulster and especially in his first two seasons and especially that second season in 1920 when he was alongside John Cooney and both of them were firing on all cil- all cylinders but a lot of people also in the in the Ulster circle and in the rugby circle and mainly in the IRFU circle believe and that he may not be up to it and he's doubted highly and whenever you have a young guy like Jake Flannery coming in with a lot of potential for Munster obviously he's just a bit down the pecking order as a result of obviously Joey Kerbery Irish international there's doubts about him but he is an Irish international then you have the young guys Ben Healy and Jack Crowley and then you have Jake Flannery for its choice and a lot of people are backing him to we would say oust Billy Byrne from the 10 position and also Ian Madigan is, is there I expected him to challenge Billy Burns for the 10 position whenever he arrived, but he hasn't really done that at all. Like he, he's played second fiddle to Billy Burns since he's arrived. So I just want to see your take, or could you even see someone like the likes of Mike Larry moving in? I just want to, I'm, I'm, I'm intrigued. Because... Yeah. Yeah. I know it's a really good question because um, it's all up in the air at the moment. I would say um, when Billy Burns joined Ulster, he took a wee while to grow into the 10 jersey. He was quite conservative. He didn't come up to the line. He didn't. Uh, he wasn't massively positive as a 10. He gave himself plenty of space. It was all just a, a wee bit boring. He wasn't expressing himself. But over the years, Billy Burns put in some excellent performances for Ulster, as you say. Um, I'm a fan of Burns. I think he's. Um, I think he's he's a really good player who comes comes in for some criticism. Now, I think often tens can get blamed whenever they play behind uh, a weak or uh, a pack which isn't dominant, um, and it puts them on the back foot. And I think that has occasionally been the case with Burns, um, where it's it's been unfortunate that maybe the, the, the pack and the service available to him hasn't been good enough. Now, 
do I think he's the answer for Ulster or Ireland going forward? Certainly not with Ireland. No, I think he's a good player, but he's not that level. Is he going to bring Ulster to the next level and maybe be a, a European Cup winning 10? I don't think so. Um, whenever you look at the alternatives, you mentioned Madigan. Madigan, um, I, I'm not sure what he's done or who he's offended, but he, he's, he's not getting a look in at Ulster at the minute. Um, uh, no, I, don't, I, I, I joke, I don't think there's anything actually against him, but I think maybe he's seen as being on the wind down. He certainly, I'm sure he's being paid enough by Ulster. He's quite a big signing when he came in. So I'd like to see him uh, get more minutes, certainly, because I think the reason we signed him is he's experienced. He's a safe pair of hands uh, to, to, to come on. He's very experienced. Come on, see out a game. Um, he's a good kicker. And I suppose he can slot in uh, fullback as well if needs be. But we haven't really seen him used. So the Ulster coaches don't have a huge amount of faith, maybe. Um, Jake Flannery, truthfully, hadn't seen a huge amount of Flannery. I know he started uh, at 10 for Ireland under-20s, and that's the team that won the Grand Slam. Um, he's, he's only 22, which is great. He's come in, he's a young guy. He'll be hungry uh, to get minutes and put himself in the shop window for, uh, for I suppose, potential Ireland selection. Um, I think he's only played a handful of games for Munster. So either Ulster have very good scouts or they're taking a bit of a leap of faith. Uh, it's too early to say whether he's going to challenge Burns, but I certainly hope he does. Competition is always good in a squad. Um, it keeps everyone on their toes. Now, in terms of Mike Lowry playing at 10 and what his best position is, this is a debate which rages on in Ulster and beyond. This guy... Uh, is an exciting, exciting player. He's um, he will go on to play a lot of the games for Ireland despite his size. Now, people say Larry's too small. The limit, limit him. Now, I would say for a lot of people that could be true. It doesn't seem to weaken any of any aspect of the game that you'd expect it to weaken. It hasn't really happened for him. Is he's good in the air. He's a good defender as well. He's very brave. Um, and certainly he's an excellent 15. In terms of 10 and playing uh, and starting at 10, he has not done enough to convince me or other fans and coaches that he's a, he's a starting 10 because you need to be able to show that you can control the game. Um, your kicking out of hand needs to be excellent. Um, right? These are things that he, he could learn. We forget how young Laurie is. He's 23, which is, is in rugby terms is, is still relatively young. Um, he can learn these skills with with game time and minutes. He can become confident uh, in in running a game. He played that position right up from school, and from, from fifth year in school, he won three schools cups playing at ten. Uh, and albeit this is a very different environment playing professional rugby, but what they can't do is chuck him in occasionally. It's not the, it's not the position to chuck someone in in a pressure pressurized environment and say right, see how you get on. That leads to um, at least to situations which will not do Mike Laurie or Ulster any favor. So look, I've said a lot of words and I haven't answered your question at all. I think it's because we just don't know. Um, at the minute, 
who will be the starting 10 for Ulster. Um, I would stick with Burns because I like him, but um, Laurie is the only sort of exciting option, I think, to replace Burns because I don't know enough about Flannery at the minute, but certainly hope he's, hope he's great. Of course, yeah. And then moving on, this is, it, it's an interesting question. I'm interested to interested to see your answer and it is as an Ulster supporter which Irish province if any would you hold a rivalry against well I'm not just saying uh, this because you're a Leinster fan but Leinster <laughs> Leinster are the biggest rivals in my view so that could be a sort of geographical proximity uh, and also in the last decade they've been the strongest Irish province so it's certainly nothing personal um i do think some leinster fans can be quite arrogant certainly ones i've talked to in the pub or whatever and they rub in the fact that ulster haven't won anything and leinster have won everything in recent years but i think you have a tendency you know as a sports fan or supporter of any club you you resent the team that has had the most success most recently and that is just the case with leinster um so I think I think that's that's the biggest rivalry, uh, provincial rival rivalry. Now, in terms of other clubs, I love beating an English team. Do you know, I, I, I just whenever we play Northampton or uh, Walsh or anyone, uh, any of those teams, I love beating beating English teams. So uh, even Leinster as our biggest provincial rivals, I do love. Part of me just loves getting a big win over an English team, especially if there's an English commentator. <laughs> Yeah, of course. Yeah, there may be a slight rivalry between Leinster and Ulster, but like I'd say the main rivalry in Ireland is Leinster and Munster. I felt that was yeah. slightly induced by throughout that period around 2009, whenever obviously yeah. Leinster started to, we would say, take Munster's mantle as the strongest team in Ireland. And there was also quite a lot of, I would say, negative energy that surrounded the rivalry between Johnny Sexton and Ronan O'Gara for the 10 jersey for Ireland and I felt that added even more I would say extra attention because they are both players who were so well liked by their respective provincial fans so it really made yeah. those games to be really exciting like spectacles to watch yeah it was a bit of a golden age for Irish rugby and yeah, I suppose it's slightly embarrassing that our biggest rivals are Leinster and Leinster don't really care <laughs> <laughs> I know. I, th I think it's just, I think it, Munster, truthfully, uh, I suppose, historically have been, uh, I suppose, Leinster and Munster, as you say, have, have made up the majority, or certainly in the last sort of couple of decades, have made up the majority of the Ireland team. And so those clashes have been uh, epic, you know, um, and I, I would love despite the fact that we did the double over Leinster this year, which again, that's the last time I'll mention that. Um, the, the, the fact that we, we've done that, I think Leinster is still another level above, and, the, and that's the unfortunate fact of the matter. And I think uh, all Ulster want to do, and our goal has to be, how do we start to challenge Leinster? How do we get to that level? Which we, which we were at at a certain stage in our history, even more recently around sort of, uh 2011 2012 and um, we, we were up there um we were up there at, at that level but we've just we've we seemed to have regressed again slightly uh towards towards the tail end of this season certainly yeah and then the final ulster question it's a bit of a fun one if you were to pick one non-irish qualified player to join the side anyone in the world most probably a world-class player who would you pick um i think in terms of uh, 10, I think 
I think Ken's probably the most important position and one which we've just discussed. So probably um, Moonga, Richie Moonga, for, uh, New Zealand out half for. That's a that's a very good question. I actually really like as Stephen Kitsoff uh, for South African prop as well. That's a slightly random one, but it's because there were some rumours that he might sign for Ulster, and I sort of got my hopes up, and then he didn't come. So I think it's a bit like uh, in football, you build your defence first. In rugby, you build your pack first, and if you have a really strong pack, then you can basically have who you want in the backs because they just sort of dot the dot the ball down. <laughs> so I'd maybe bring in a big a big prop like uh, like him or um, yeah. Uh, either either of those guys uh, be happy with that's a good question though as a Leinster fan I'd probably bring in Will, Skel- Will Skelton from La Rochelle actually because I remember we played them last year and he absolutely demolished our pack from start to finish like he's yeah. he's, he's an absolute giant of a man I think 6 foot 9 and yeah. obviously he's weigh- he weighs an incredible amount as well and I feel he's exactly the player Leinster need even though I feel Leinster have even reached another level this season and their system, they they just look so soundly, like, I would say, adapted to their system. And I feel if you added a guy like Skelton in there, they would be just absolutely unstoppable with that physicality yeah. added into That's the pack. It. That's it. Sometimes you just need it's, it's one missing piece of the jigsaw puzzle and everything clicks. And, and it might be that for Leinster, that's what you need for Ulster. I think maybe that... Uh, that 10 jersey and that is nothing against Billy Burns but I think sometimes you just need someone to bring it to the next level so um, yeah that's that's a good one it's good to, good to think about where you can you can strengthen particularly for Ulster at the minute and now we're going to move on to the IRFU questions if that's okay and um, first person we're going to be speaking about is Marcy Moore so do you think he's capable of being a deputy to Tyke Furlong against the world, cap, world class opposition at the World Cup yeah, well, I, th- I think realistically, he's probably, uh, so you've got Furlong and you've got Finley Beelham, Tom O'Toole, and then probably Marty Moore. So I think he's probably still fourth choice. Uh, I'm saying this is one of his uh, his biggest fans. Do you know, um, I think him, I, I, th- I think he's no worse than any of those guys, but I just think in terms of the likelihood of him starting ahead of Beelham or O'Toole, who are a good bit younger. So Marty Moore's 31 now. Um, and he's had he's had a, a chance he's had a run with Ireland went the way to was came back um, and has been playing really well for Ulster he certainly wouldn't look out of place in the Ireland squad he wouldn't weaken the team at all I mean Furlong's the best in the world in his position so beyond that as long as he had kicked Furlong in already were coming on seeing the game out for the last 20-30 minutes wouldn't weaken the, weaken the team as I say earlier one of the uh, one of the, the best pieces of evidence for Dan McFarland being a good forwards coach is he forwards at Ulster tend to get better, not worse, whenever they join Ulster. So uh, Marty Moore came and he was basically given uh, given a challenge. He said, "Look, you're, you're not you're not an old school prop, okay? Um, you have to you have to get involved in the game." I suppose back in the day, and certainly certain teams or clubs. Props just literally prop up the scrum. Murray Murray was told that you have to you have to be hitting rocks, you have to be carrying, you have to be tackling. And for a big lad who always looks packed into his Ulster jersey, <laughs> not, 
and that's not fat shaming or it's not deliberately fat shaming he is mobile he has some engine on him and uh he he's ever uh, like he's solid in the scrum as well like he will not be bullied in the scrum so big fan of him probably fourth choice for Ireland though realistically wouldn't we in the team yeah like I'm a big supporter of Marcy Moore. I know he was at Leinster early in his career and he was quite a prospect there. I think he was on the bench for the 2014 Six Nations. He played a bit in 2015 as well. And then he just sort of stagnated and he headed off to Wasps. But he really appears to have been reborn at Ulster in the last couple of seasons. And it's it's good to see, actually. And it's, it's good for Irish rugby and it's good for Ulster as well. So. Absolutely, he's some man. I'm always, I, I just, when I, when I watch a game with any group of people, all I talk about is Marty Murray, look at him go and getting stuck in, and oh, he's just, he's great, and um, huge fan of him. I'm so glad he, I suppose it's, it's why players come to Ulster, you know, um, we have, we're the grateful beneficiaries of some Leinster, uh, Leinster guys, um, and, and Marty Murray slightly different because of, he went there. A slightly different route going over to play in England as well. But we get a lot of these guys, and the reason they come to the Ulster is to put themselves back in the shop window for Ireland. Marty Moore has done that. And let's hope he gets his opportunity, he goes on tour in the summer or whatever it is, because um he, he certainly earned it now. Yeah, a hundred percent. And then we're moving on to the Johnny Sexton dilemma. Do you think Ireland can find, we would say, a credible alternative before the World Cup? Or do you think we'll be sort of coming in to the World Cup half-stocked at 10? I think we'll be coming in half-stocked at 10, unfortunately. <laughs> so I think I would love to be really positive and say, oh, no, there's, the next guy's obvious. But no, I don't, I don't think that's true. I think Sexton's a generational calm. Um he is it's a bit like when ireland like sexton's still there but i would say ireland are in some difficulty if sexton gets injured which is not uh it's not that unlikely um before before the next world cup or something happens that he can't play uh as i say it's a bit like ireland whenever they lost brian o'driscoll so he's this guy he's been there for as long as a lot of people can remember but there has to be a transition and there's always a difficult transition when you lose someone like that. So um, Ireland are more dependent on Sexton than any other player in the team with the exception perhaps of Tag Furlong. Um, so Sexton's value is in his playmaking and his ability to hold his nerve when kicking conversions and penalties. He's, uh, again, I talked earlier about uh, confidence, sort of confidence Nathan Duke had. Sexton, Sexton's a guy who is just confident. He drives the standards um, for Leinster and Ireland. And if it wasn't for the fact that he'll be 38, um, that there'd be no debate about who would be starting at 10 for Ireland. And there's no one really pushing him. Carberry's next in line. Jack Cardy's probably next. Harry Byrne, maybe, uh, is next. So none of those guys jump out and put their hand up and, and say they're the obvious. I'd say Carberry, Carberry has the potential. Carberry's a special player. It's keeping him fit, getting him loads of minutes. I think the decision to go to Munster with him is a good one. Um, because he, he, he gets, he gets uh, plenty of game time there. Um, so... I think I think T 
to answer your question, is there a credible alternative to Johnny Sexton? Uh, certainly they're credible, but not, not at the same level as Sexton. Yeah, I'd agree with you there. I think Kirby has potential. Obviously, he has been been unlucky, effectively. He struggled to get game time at Leinster at the start of his career. He was even behind Ross Byrne at times. Then he moved to Munster. And he was on and off with injuries in the first season. But he was showing real potential for Ulster in the European Cup that season. And then whenever, obviously, the second season rolled around, he got injured in that World Cup warm-up and he, he barely played throughout that second season. And obviously, throughout the third season, he wasn't back until the halfway point. So he he hasn't had much game time in his career. Obviously, I felt his performance in in last couple of weeks has been impressive. Obviously, he played well against Exeter two weeks ago and he looked fairly decent against Ulster, obviously, on Friday night. So maybe he is starting to come of age a bit and he could become credible, but do I ever think he'll reach the level of Johnny Sexton? Probably not. Yeah, yeah, I think that's fair. I think to put any... I think that's it would be putting a lot of pressure on him to say, I, I would expect you to be Johnny Sexton because he's only Johnny Sexton. It's Johnny Sexton, do you know? So... Um, I think I think surely you know with the amount of talent coming out of the likes of Leinster and even Ulster's academy, you'd like to think there'll be guys um guys who'll step up to the mantle, but just it's it's impossible to say there's anyone yet who is obvious. Yeah, I I probably agree. And now as we move on to the next question, and that is, considering the low number of players involved in the Ireland squad from Ulster. There's not a high percentage compared to what there was in the past. Like, do you ever f- find yourself sort of finding yourself lacking passion to a degree before an Ireland game? Because it's it's so hard sometimes to get hyped up whenever there's not many players where you're, like, we would say, diehard supporting. So does that ever frustrate you? Or do you ever find yourself not being really excited for a game? I have to say no. Um, we talked before about what Ireland games are like. The atmosphere is incredible. Um, that's really, I mean, the Six Nations is, is is what I look forward to every year. And you're saying you're down at the, the Wales game. Like it's it's just it's an unbelievable atmosphere. Uh, I support Ireland, um, regardless of how many Ulster players are in the squad. And it's funny the amount of people you see, particularly in Ulster. Because we're often the ones who who perceive uh, that the, the squad to, to be sort of biased against Ulster or whatever. I don't believe in any of that. I don't think there's any bias. I don't think there's any conspiracy against Ulster. I think the coaches pick the best players available to them. I think it's the best squad of players they can assemble. Um, I think if there's any complaint uh, that Ulster can have, it's that naturally whenever you're picking a squad or a, a team of selectors come together to pick a squad naturally you'll gravitate towards people playing for the best the best team so if leinster are playing unbelievable rugby which uh, they have been certainly over the last few years then and they're winning things um then you'll you'll tend towards picking uh leinster players um and that that is also because they're they're great players, but it's easier to pick players in a good team. So it's a bit like in football, a lot of players from the top four get picked for England, you know, and they're not necessarily uh, the the best players, but um, just they're in the shop window a bit more. 
because uh, they're playing in, a, in the best team. So I I I don't have any uh, regard for. I always the first thing I do. Look, I'll be honest. The first thing I do whenever the squad comes out is I count the number of Ulster players on that. <laughs> I don't know why, but that's just what I do because I support Ulster. But it doesn't make me support the Ireland team any less because. Um, and to be honest, look, I don't think we're that hard done by. Certainly in the last Six Nations, no, no real complaints. Um, uh, guys like Treadwell getting the squad, great, deserve recognition. O'Toole there got injured, but he was there in the squad. Herring, do you know, uh, I, I, I have no particular complaints from that perspective. But lots of people do, and I don't, I don't really understand it. Yeah, I respect your opinion because I've seen a lot of Ulster fans online, especially after when. Ever Balakun not getting a game in the Six Nations this year. They're absolutely livid about it and they were obviously complaining about the IRFU coaching staff. And it appeared that was just quite a toxic approach to maybe, I would say, quite an understandable selection. I felt the three players ahead yeah. of him, which were Conway, yeah. Hansen, and Lowe, were more experienced yeah. and appeared to be more complete. And yeah. yeah. Although Balakun has potential, you need to pick the players who are most match ready. So I don't feel there's any reason to be, I would say, complaining about coaches and I would say just spreading toxicity in general. Absolutely. Completely agree with you. Um, you know, those guys are wholly deserving and people who didn't want Mac Hansen to play uh, probably hadn't watched that much of him. Um, because he was playing unbelievable rugby and continued to play unbelievable rugby in the Six Nations as well. So uh, and it's funny, yeah. I, I think basically what happens is the Six Nations uh, brings out a lot of armchair fans, guys who, uh, guys and girls who, who don't go to to games or they don't watch games on a regular basis, but haven't heard of guys or they don't really know James Lou before he obviously played a really game for Ireland. So they go, "Who's this guy? Who's Mark Hansen?" Um, and they haven't watched them, so it just it sort of stems from from ignorance. Um, uh, uh, and, and that's fine, you know, but it's it's funny the amount of people who give very strong opinions online without being informed. Yeah, I'd 100% agree with you because sometimes whenever you see certain armchair fans, especially on boards, the the blog um, campaign <laughs> yeah. there, that, like some of the fans you see on there, you're just like, what are you talking about? Like, I remember yeah. there was a friend I think from Munster on boards and he was making constant complaints about Hugo Keenan throughout the Six Nations campaign and I just found it generally like toxic because like why do you have this ridiculous obsession on a player who's actually playing fairly well for Ireland and is actually delivering and it's not like your fullback is doing that so I know I know you just have to ignore some people and some people are trolls as well so I think so I actually think um, those those forums can be so toxic, as you say. That's why you need to you need to turn to decent decent journalists, the likes of of Murray Kinsella or Jerry Thornley is good as well, or you guys like that, and they give you an accurate, uh, hopefully fairly unbiased um, review of games. Do you know? Yeah, I'd agree with you there. And then the final IRFU question is. Um, do you feel that Irish rugby are over-reliant on the school system and do you feel that there should be more investment in the club system? Um, because although the school system works, maybe if we had an alternative, we could potentially improve and we could unearth new talents that isn't like traditionally found through the school system because like, there's only so many players who 
like who actually have the privilege to obviously attend a rugby school and most of them are private schools and I feel that really I would say excludes from the diversity of the game because obviously whenever you have diverse cultures you tend to get different sizes of players different types of players and whenever you're just relying on the school system you don't really get that same luxury so I feel maybe if there could be a solution found to really I would say upgrading the club system I had an idea of potentially obviously still like supporting every club side but then having like a representative club side for each area and creating like a club league for youth players and it also being I would say heavily supported by the IRFU and they're obviously being the appointment of quality coaches because the real reason why club players are not we would say progressing onto provincial or international rugby is because of the, the quality of coaching parents like local lowly qualified coaches are coaching teams and whenever you're in the schools game there's a high qualified coach teaching you all the basics of the game and you're obviously going to improve as a player and there's limited players that have made it from the club system to the international scene. I think the only two that come to mind are Sean O'Brien and Tyke Furlong, and they were technically uncoachable talents. So what do you think? That's really good into that question, and uh, I completely agree, particularly in the point about privilege as well. So it's not unique to Ireland or Ulster or, or, or um, yeah, to, to anywhere really specific in rugby, but historically... Um, rugby uh, tends to be played in affluent areas that receive and schools that receive good funding, the best coaches, um, and it's a self-perpetuating cycle of uh, schools producing players who go on to play for Ulster, uh, Leinster, Munster, and then Ireland, and then those schools uh, go on to receive more funding and better coaches and, and so on and so on. So that's that's how it works. Now, we do need an alternative to that system. Um, there are players who take a bit longer to develop, um, players who maybe never get the opportunity, despite their natural ability, to uh, receive the, uh, uh, the requisite coaching or sufficient support to make it to uh, the level required. So... Um, what we need is, uh, I suppose, a space for those people to play <clears throat> who either at school or at their clubs uh, to play high quality rugby every week and get proper coaching. Um, now, that does, uh, certainly speaking from an Ulster perspective, there are rugby development officers um, who, who go around clubs. And I suppose that the supposed aim is to encourage and promote rugby and look out for, for talent uh, in, in clubs. Now that doesn't always uh, doesn't always work. It's not always that fruitful. Sometimes it is, and there are examples uh, of, of guys who have come through uh, the club system and played for Ulster, and that's that's been great. But what we have in Ulster is sort of a unique problem in that uh, rugby is played uh, mainly, and I suppose to an extent, stereotypically by middle class Protestant um, schools, and there's probably a group of about six if we're being generous six schools who um who play rugby at, at, a, at a really good level and who have a, a realistic chance of competing in the school's cup so um it's it's an interesting problem what i would suggest and i can only speak for ulster really is we have a playing population 
um, which only half of which uh, actually, actually play rugby. So we have a potential playing population, um, which is split in half um, because um, certain sides of the, uh, the other side of the community, I suppose, uh, don't play rugby and vice versa. Okay, so I would love to see uh, rugby players play Gaelic games and Gaelic games players come and play rugby. And I think rugby is um, enormously beneficial uh, to, uh, to to people in Ulster. I think it has the potential to bring people together um, uh, and uh, as soon as all sport, but I would just like to see us uh, harness the high quality athletes and the skills that you see in Gaelic games and, and bring guys in, like I suppose Tommy Bow or Rob Carney or Zebo, all have background in, in, in Gaelic games, you know, and um, I'd love to see more of that come through in Ulster. So I suppose our problem is somewhat unique because of the political divide, but there's a socioeconomic divide, which you see, I suppose, in the, uh, 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 primarily in Leinster, where you've got the sort of public schools of which there are maybe, again, about six schools who dominate schools rugby and uh we need to we need to level the playing field and get more people playing at clubs under under good coaches and uh and if they don't make it by the age of 18 not to write them off and say like some guys only develop and become class players whenever they're early 20s let's keep an eye on those guys um so um, sorry, went on a bit of a rant there, but that's that's sort of my opinion. I think rugby's a, a too niche, it's too exclusive. We need to broaden uh, broaden the scope for involvement um, from uh, regardless of background. Yeah, I feel there would actually be a ripple effect if this actually happened because I feel a lot what turns people off rugby in Dublin, I'd say, is the South Dublin stereotype of affluent, privileged people playing rugby and there not being space for people from other areas of Dublin to really, you would say, express their rugby talent. And that what turns people off. But if you saw people from other areas of Dublin and maybe even from areas that are less privileged, then you'd start to see a ripple effect from people from other areas in Dublin to actually participate and play rugby. And that would be a, a huge positive for Irish rugby in general and it would be a huge positive up north as well maybe you could have more members of the Catholic community playing rugby as well so it's yeah it's yeah absolutely it, it could create so much positivity it's unbelievable yes yeah 100% agree and now as we move on to the general questions as we finish off um obviously um, my first question is what was the inspiration to starting the blog obviously we spoke about it behind the camera a bit earlier about what your main inspiration was but maybe you could explain it to the audience a bit more okay so um the reason i started the uh, the blog i've been an ulster fan really since i can remember you know, uh, growing up i would have gone to the games with my dad and um right right up through school and continue to go to games even now so um, always been into rugby, really wanted to get into journalism. I was saying to you before, getting into journalism is really difficult. So I spoke to a couple of, of rugby journalists uh, who, who sort of write about Ireland games, who were kind enough to, to speak to me on the phone. And what they told me was it's easier actually to get uh, on the pitch playing for Ireland than it is to get in the press box writing about Ireland. So. It's really difficult, it's really competitive. My background is not actually in, in journalism. I have another job as well. So um, 
what I started to do instead was I started to write match reports for Ulster Rugby. That was really good experience, writing match reports, help me analyse the game, watch the game slightly differently and understand it a wee bit more. It gave them free content as well, of course, so that was good uh, for both of us. So um, wrote those uh, match reports for the, the website, uh, the Ulster Rugby website, and started my own website because I didn't really like the state of, of journalism. Uh, what I saw had been written about Ulster Rugby, I thought it was quite clickbaity. Uh, a lot of superficial coverage, it sort of told you the score, um, what players scored, uh, where the game took place and you didn't really get to know the, the players it was pretty superficial and um, what I thought would be better is to do either um, a bit bit of analysis or another thing is player interviews through long form interviews which is a great way of learning about players uh, you watch every week so you find out what playing for the province or for the company means for them um how they got there um and the more you understand about the players the more likely you are to engage uh with the team and support the team so uh, rugby as i said a few minutes ago rugby is is such a, an enormous uh source of goods in northern ireland or at least it is potentially like any sport there are values that rugby in particular uh, aspires to so teamwork respect enjoyment, discipline, things like that. And the fact that it has the potential to, uh, again, specifically in Ulster, bring communities together, people from different backgrounds together. But as, as I said, like there are barriers that exist. It's quite a niche sport that in Ulster in particular is largely supported by a middle-class group of Protestants. And that's not entirely the case, but it's sort of a stereotype. And uh, Ulster, I think, uh, increasingly needs to embrace embrace both sides of the community um, and in some small way hopefully through the blog and through the podcast it makes rugby more accessible to people who maybe don't know that much about rugby and for those who are fans to understand it slightly better and the, the other reason I do it is because it's really enjoyable and I have a lot of fun doing it and have good conversations and link up with old friends this booster as well so um, and meet lots of interesting people so those are, so, those are some of the reasons. Yeah, I feel it's good to make a game that is sort of a niche sport a bit more engaging, because you'd say, I don't know if you're a fan of Formula One, but that was considered like a sport for the wealthy and the rich and the privileged for decades. But then sort of the new revolution and the new owners of Formula One have decided to make it a bit more impersonal amongst the drivers. And we, we would say increase that interaction between fans and drivers. And it's really absolutely skyrocketed the popularity of the series so it really shows if you make it a bit more personal it can really benefit the sport like significantly so I feel what you're doing is really really positive for the sport of rugby in general so that's great and, and yourself as well as you know doing your your blog I think that's really impressive at your age to be to be uh, starting something like this so I've no doubt you have a big career in, in journalism yourself I very much hope so. And uh, just um, what would you say is probably been the greatest interview you've had since you started interviewing, we would say, significant figures in the history of Ulster? Yeah, in terms of the greatest interview, the, the, the most enjoyable, it's so hard to choose because I genuinely uh, have loved all of them. Uh, and the people here are kind enough to uh, take the time to speak to me. Um, I, I, I'm just 
so grateful to them and you learn something different in all these interviews in terms of in terms of special ones Willie Anderson uh, who was the captain of Ulster in Ireland uh, had some unbelievable stories about being put in prison for burning a flag in Argentina for facing down the hack uh, and any number of other things he's just a wild man back in the day and one of the nicest guys you'll meet um, today you know so he was he was really really great to speak to um Another one was uh, John Cooney, uh, who was excellent as well. So Cooney's really thoughtful, interesting guy um, who uh, works really, really hard. Uh, his success isn't a coincidence. And he's had one of the most interesting journeys from uh, Leinster, Leinster's academy coming through, going to Connacht. And he's always, I suppose, been a bit of an outsider. Uh, and then it was just... It was sort of lucky the way the opportunity came up in Australia. He grabbed it with both hands. Really interesting as well. And there's some really unique ones as well, really unique interviews that I've had with people. There's one with Ryan Caldwell, who used to play for Ulster. And uh, he talked about significant difficulties he had uh, when he, whenever he left the game, uh, issues with drugs and uh, going through um, a really difficult time and he's just a completely different character now full of full of joy and uh lovely guy and i, I just i love meeting him because he was he might be he, he might be before your time but he was really abrasive and aggressive second row and when i met him he just came up and gave me a big bear hug and he's just constantly smiling and oh, he's just a, a great guy and there's there's any number of people I love rob Perring's great guy louis ludick um, there's one guy who just gave me so much time and uh, I'd say he's probably the nicest guy in rugby in my opinion but yeah I could sit and talk to you all day about the ones I've enjoyed but uh, I think in terms of in terms of really special ones Willie Anderson really stands out so I'd recommend anyone who's interested can listen to that one And how would you organise interviews? How would you contact players? And how did Ulster verify it? Because a lot of, we would say, professional sports teams, they don't like, we would say, third-party media sources to be interviewing players. How did you get through to Ulster and get through to the the players? Yeah, well, uh, the players have have just been very generous with with me, you know, um, and it's either through Instagram or Twitter or Facebook or whatever, friends of friends, new players, um, and I've been able to contact them. And as it's gone on, I suppose you get to know various people involved, uh, maybe ex-players very often. Sometimes ex-players are even more interesting because they can look back with a certain perspective on the game and reminisce about, uh, for example, I've done a a bit of a series of of guys who won the European Cup in 1999. And... uh, those guys still keep in touch, you know, it's a very special squad, they're very tightly bonded uh, by the fact that they're part of the, the best period of, of uh, Ulster history. And I've spoken to them, and to, be, to be honest, Ulster started out being really good, the players have always been excellent, uh, like, uh, I just am so grateful to the players, the actual management in Ulster don't help at all, you know, they, they if anything, they, they have a special relationship with a couple of newspapers who they like to do all of the coverage um but as in terms of the players i couldn't speak highly enough of this group um they are uh, they're very generous with their time and um 
I'm very grateful to them. So just a variety of means and it's it's been great. It's been a great opportunity to speak to them and they're without exception um, lovely guys. I think that's been part of um, why this, this squad is, is so positive and the atmosphere around it is so positive. And um, what would you say is the most valuable lesson you've learned since starting the whole um, blog and podcast, obviously, corporation a number of years ago? Yeah, so the, the, the most interesting thing I think I've learned from a series of interviews is, I alluded to it there a second ago, is that a lot of people get, in term, just in terms of life lessons uh, and what I've learned generally from speaking to so many people is whenever you look back on someone's career, it can seem so uh, almost predestined, like this person was always going to make it as a rugby player, they're talented, they're uh they're now playing for Ireland, for example, and that was always going to happen. But actually, um, what you learn is all these guys, almost without exception, they say that there are much better players than them at school. Uh, they're by no means the least talented in their year. Um, even coming through provincial trials and everything like that, they always say, oh, there's guys far better than me. And the difference between them and uh, th- those other guys is that they worked harder. Okay, so they always seem to have um, been able to outlast the other guys because they have dedicated themselves to it. And there's so many examples of that. So um, Cooney is, is an obvious one, Ludic, um, Rob Herring. They all say that there's guys far more talented. The only sort of exception to that is Stephen Ferris, who is <laughs> uh, just naturally an athlete. You know, he's big and he's powerful and he's a class player. Uh, and I think, to be honest, the school he went to wasn't much good. So he, he was just the best player when he came through. <laughs> but apart from that, the lesson I've learned is uh, things look so straightforward. But actually, people who work hard, uh, combined with a stroke of luck, uh, they become they become professional athletes. Whereas some people are equally talented. They maybe don't work as hard or don't have the same luck and don't make it. So that's been really interesting. I'm not sure how you play that the to my life but uh, <laughs> it's certainly interesting i'm actually so glad you brought up that point because i'm like i'm a long distance runner and whenever i started long distance running i was significantly i would say less talented than my opposition when we go to like school running clubs or anything like that i would consistently finish last place but then as lockdown started and all of that situation i decided to train regularly I decided to revolutionize my diet i'm quite disciplined nowadays and i decided to we would say become passionate about running and physical activity and I consistently saw myself improve and I'd see myself running up the pecking order I was no longer coming last when we came back from lockdown I was sort of in the middle then you see yourself coming closer to the top and now I'm top two or three so it really just shows that how hard work is so important and that's actually one of the main morals of the podcasts if you can really push yourself and become and work hard you can achieve something that you didn't think was possible let's say a sheer number of months or years ago so yeah no absolutely uh, and that's that's something a lot of players have repeated you know and it's a common theme um so yeah it's it's something that um i think we, we can all learn from you know that you just have the uh, hard work is not overrated yeah and now as we come into maybe the final one or two questions of the podcast and that is, um, what would you say would be your ideal interview in the future to carry out? Someone you haven't interviewed yet that you would like to interview in the future? Yeah, that's a really good one. Um, uh, in terms of 
terms of guys I'd love to interview, uh, Andrew Trimble would be up there. I actually thought Andrew Trimble would be, because he's, he's, he's so involved in the media, I thought whenever I started all this that I'd get him early early doors, but it hasn't happened. Um, and I think he's very funny. He's one of the one of the podcasts I listened to, so Baz and Andrew uh, podcast with uh, him and Barry Murphy. And um, Trimble's very funny, sort of dry wit and... Um, I just think it'd be very fun to talk to him. So uh, that would that would be that would be one. The other one, uh, well, Tommy Bo as well. You know, uh, staying in the thing of uh, the, the theme of Ulster wingers. Tommy Bo is just he strikes me as just a really nice guy. Um, and then Darren Cave, if you remember him as well. So Darren Cave actually went to my school, and I remember growing up uh, listening to, I uh, sorry, watching Darren Cave. Um, at school, and everyone sort of knew he was he was going to make it, and I love to love to chat to him. Uh, he's he's quite involved in the media as well, so who knows? I might get speaking to him, but uh, yeah, no 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 luck yet. Yeah, um, actually, I'm I'm glad you brought that one up because um, I actually approached um Trimble actually a few months ago. Um, I approached his social media manager John yeah. for his podcast, yeah. and he says that he actually specified that. A, could be a possibility but i just did hear yeah. nothing back i presume he's incredibly nice. busy but i i was yeah. glad that i did hear that i was in consideration obviously yeah. i don't know how i think tommy will would be literally impossible at the moment obviously he has his, <laughs> his role with ireland am at the moment so i think you can yeah. consider him untouchable certainly for me and i darren cave yeah. he does quite a lot of media with rte and i've obviously contacted a few rte pundits in the past for pod, for podcasts and yeah. there's quite a lot of like contract restrictions that they're not allowed right, yeah. to appear on third party networks so that is a bit of yeah. a shame so but uh, yeah, yeah i'd love to interview players like that and then yeah the final question before we finish up is do, do you have any experience playing rugby yeah i i do so um i played from when i was about five or six you know uh growing up uh through mini rugby we call it up here right up in the school and then actually uh i had sort of chronic uh, back pain you know whenever i had the sort of teenage years so i had about your age actually uh, well 15 16 and um, the back got really bad and i walked with a limp for like 10 years and, and chronic pain through every day and it's only recent years i've, I've sort of got back and uh uh, played a bit, you know, and in, in, in sort of um, the last five or six years, played a wee bit, but um, you know, I think my chances of playing for Ulster Ireland are probably probably gone. So yeah. <laughs> I don't know if it's worth the risk now. Do you, I don't know. Do you play yourself? Um, I played a bit when I was younger, probably between the ages of seven, eight, nine, ten. I played a bit of mini rugby in Dublin, and I, I thoroughly enjoyed it. I loved being part of the like the rugby yeah. community and. It was actually one of the most enjoyable experiences I had playing sports as a child because they were incredibly yeah. inclusive. The coaches were incredibly welcoming and yeah. I enjoyed playing with the teammates and there's obviously a lot, lot of good experiences at matches and at blitzes and all of that. It's a yeah. really great experience to bond with teammates and also collaborate and work as a team. And it's 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 a really positive experience. And I kind of, I decided to obviously, I would say, end my mini rugby career at the age of around nine or ten, because yeah. I I was simp I was simply not physically developed enough comparatively compared to the other players, and I was starting to pick up a few injuries in my legs as a result, yeah. and I decided not to risk it. 
but I kind of yeah. wish I did stay another couple of years because it was a really exciting experience and I, I gained so much from it as a player and a person so yeah okay, it's a great sport and I, I really regret the chance uh, just sort of taken away by injury to not be able to play more and uh, hopefully play a wee bit you know over the, over the next couple of years but um oh yeah it's 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 a fantastic sport and if you can't play it watch it is my attitude so um that's sort of another reason why i'm so so into this and and sort of living vicariously through people who can play at a high level so um yeah i'm very very jealous of, of people who make a living from it yeah i'd 100 percent agree because yeah you do whenever you see like a player sort of especially whenever you see players that are born 2001 2002 sort of closer to your age and I heard a player in the Leinster senior cup was actually my age playing in in the senior cup final for Gonzaga and I was like oh no imagine I could be in his position so you start thinking imagine imagine that could be me and there is a tint of jealousy but I do know I'm I'm too long out of it to actually actually make a stake to play professional rugby or professional sport in general but you do have yeah. those like eureka moments every now and then where you think it oh maybe I could have done it like when you're watching a documentary or an old game but it's it I, I've sort of made peace with it especially since the whole pandemic started that that's probably yeah. near enough improbable and i should probably focus on what i'm doing at the moment and i've seemed to be making a respectable job of it at the moment absolutely yeah no it's it's funny is the older you get the more and more people uh start to talk about uh, that they could have made it you know it's funny uh but for injury they'd be playing for Ireland under ulster um so uh yeah get get used to that as you as you yeah, I have too many of them. I've one or two family members who have illusions of grandeur like that as well. So, <laughs> yeah, I well, no, that's been a, a pleasure to speak to you and uh, excellent uh, interviewer. And uh, hopefully, some of that's usable. So, thanks again, Luke, for your time. Yeah, thanks so much. It was an absolute pleasure. Um, it's also great to welcome a guest onto the podcast after a few months where the podcast sort of stagnated and I was struggling to obviously invite guests and now obviously we got a big surprise earlier on this week and we obviously had the wonderful you on the podcast and obviously it was an intriguing and engaging interview where I felt we looked at the game of rugby on so many levels even just from the basic like player performances and results to class divide and religious divide and it was so incredibly yeah. exciting and i'm incredibly fortunate for the opportunity so thanks so much no thank you thank you it's absolute pleasure thanks luke thanks so much anyways i hope everyone thoroughly enjoyed that episode it was personally one of my favorites i've recorded since starting this podcast and that's for a variety of reasons the first reason is obviously the rugby discussion i love discussing rugby and i also love hearing of different opinions about rugby because if everyone had the same opinion on a sport it would be boring so i feel i would say to make things a bit more exciting it's always interesting to speak to someone who has a different opinion because then you can I feel there's more to debate for and there's more to talk about and then the second point would have to be I would say the interesting and intriguing nature of rugby there is this I would say this conception that rugby is this niche sport that is played by people who are from affluent areas and middle class to upper class families but that always isn't the case but unfortunately, I would say for the majority of it, it is. And that's obviously a real shame because I feel that it would be better if 
everyone had equal opportunities to play rugby at a high level if you're from an affluent area or from not so affluent of an area. But unfortunately, that isn't the case at the moment. What I feel a valuable lesson I learned was that despite those flaws in the game, there's a lot what rugby does to obviously bring people together. And obviously, Peter made the point up north that it has brought rugby obviously supporting rugby and playing rugby has brought a lot of people together in Northern Ireland who are of a Protestant faith and a Catholic faith. And obviously, if you're anyways informed by history, obviously there's, I would say, a lot of negative history that surrounds the Protestant and the Catholic community in Northern Ireland. And I'm absolutely delighted to hear that obviously both communities are, we would say, bonding as a result of rugby and sport, because that much sport should be. It shouldn't be related to politics. It should be related to bonding, friendship and excitement. And then the most valuable lesson I learned was that whenever I asked Peter what was the most valuable lesson he's learned since starting the blog and the podcast, he said whenever he would speak to professional players, he said that the most valuable lesson that he learned was that they would always say throughout youth rugby that there was always players better than them. There was always players who were who were stronger, who were more complete and at that stage had a greater chance of becoming a professional. But some of those players, they are not professionals at the moment and they are. And that is a testament to hard work, commitment, discipline and sacrifice. And that really displays that hard work is not overrated. It is understated still to a degree because if you do not work hard, what are the chances of you becoming a professional rugby player I'd say they're pretty much null and I feel this podcast and obviously our experience with Peter proves that effectively so I feel the main lesson from this podcast should be hard work is not overrated anyways as we come to an end I want to thoroughly thank everyone for continuing to support the podcast throughout this period of hiatus I'm also about to launch the Instagram account for the sports scoop where there'll be a lot of exciting content coming up there and I hope everyone will be back soon for a future podcast. Thank you.